Welcome to Health Plus Tech, the podcast where we explore the law that applies at the intersection of healthcare and technology. Hosted by McGuire Woods, episodes feature healthcare innovators and updates on the laws that apply to digital health businesses. Welcome to the Health Plus Tech Podcast. I'm Kristen McDermott Woodrum, a healthcare partner in the Atlanta office of McGuire Woods and a co-lead of our digital health technology and innovation practice. Today, we are excited to welcome to the podcast, Jessica Thurmond and Monica Schmid, co-CEOs and co-founders of Othello Health, the first biometric anchored virtual approach for women with breast and gynecologic cancers. Othello is on a mission to transform the patient experience both during treatment and remission. Jessica is a clinical operations and development expert with over 10 years of experience working in cancer care, from patient facing to research and drug development. She attended graduate school at Vanderbilt University where her research assessed the neural and physiological impact of stress on development. Her interests in technology have been pervasive across her career, continuing with her postgraduate education at MIT through CSAIL, Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Library, and the Sloan School of Management, focusing on artificial intelligence and business strategy. Jessica is formerly a homeless nonprofit founder. She's a proud descendant of the Sioux Nation and is a lifetime advocate for the underdog. Monica has over a decade of international commercial experience negotiating partnerships across small, mid-sized, and large biopharma clients, and formerly led the business development for Clinopace, the oncology-focused contract research organization, initiating strategic partnerships for clinical studies while significantly growing the customer base. She has held leadership roles at Informa Pharma Intelligence, advising clients on competitive intelligence strategies across the drug development life cycle from early studies to clinical launch. Monica is a graduate of the London School of Economics Executive Global Masters in Management and the School of Environment and Biological Sciences at Rutgers University. Welcome, Jessica and Monica. We're thrilled to have you today. To kick it off, each of you has impressive educational and professional credentials with experience in oncology care. You also have compelling personal stories that drove you to focus your work in this area. Can you each tell us more about your background and why you founded Othello Health? Um, Maybe kick it off with Jessica. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Happy to kick it off. My name is Jessica Thurmond. Um, you know, so so for me, the mission of Thello, you know, has always been personal. Um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was in her 30s. Um, and she came from, you know, a, a disadvantaged background without a lot of access to education, health literacy, resources. Um, she was descendant of the Wapton Oyate Sioux tribe, which is a small tribe out of Sisseton, South Dakota, part of the Greater Sioux Nation. Um, You know, and I really saw at a young age firsthand how lack of access to supportive care tools can have a really negative impact on a patient journey. Uh, My mom ended up passing less than a year later um, from her, her diagnoses. And, you know, in her case, she had a very aggressive form of cancer. Um, you know, but now 90% of women with breast cancer go into remission. You know, we, we've come such a long way, um, but the patient experience still really is lacking. You know, it's, it's if nothing else, gotten more complex as time has gone by. Um, for me personally, you know, I, I spent over half of my adulthood below the poverty line. Um, I was homeless for over a year whenever I was 19 as a result of a hurricane that hit Florida. 
Um, I, and I personally didn't have a lot of family or social support either. Um, and for a long time, I didn't have health insurance. And so um, I've seen how, you know, just lack of even understanding how to access tools, not knowing how to sign up for Medicaid myself when I was at that age and qualified for it. Um, these are all really big pervasive problems. And when you've put it within the lens of cancer care, you know, these it's only exacerbated. So um, I think it's just been kind of a, a lifetime drive for me around, you know, the, the need for patient advocacy um, and greater support. And that's it's actually uh, Monica and I met working together at a, a contract research organization and, you know, really bonded over these shared struggles that we see. I mean, even now, after over 10 years of working in this space, having gotten a graduate education, working intensively within, you know, within cancer care, and it's still hard. Um, and I, I think that's been, you know, really the the personal and professional impetus for, for starting Othello. But Monica, uh, love to hear your story, too. Or thanks, Jess. So, so I agree. I mean, spending my career in the life sciences, uh, observing the full cycle of drug development, I came to appreciate the advancements we've made. I mean, the last 20 years have really resulted in transforming cancer from a death sentence in some cases uh, uh, to a chronic manageable condition, um, particularly within breast cancer. Uh, but along with that, we see the information asymmetry um, has really become an issue. And, and I reflect on my experiences uh, supporting my grandmother as a teenager before I entered the medical field and before we really had anyone in the family who had this type of information and just realized, you know, how, how lost we were. And at this day and age today, despite, you know, information overload, many patients are, are still lost on this journey. So uh, we're bridging the gap and building something that we wish we had when we were um, navigating our loved ones through cancer care and, and something that, you know, we wish to utilize ourselves if, if that's something that's um, happens in our life. So yeah, it's, it's very personal and there's a huge driver. We've been uh, lucky enough to really amass a great support system of, of advisors, of employees at this stage, um, and glad to tell you more about it today. Yeah, thank you so much for joining and sharing your, your personal perspectives and background. That's really compelling. And I think you've identified enormous need um, that exists even today. And to address it, Othello offers wraparound care with biometrics, a supportive community and health education and literacy. Can you tell us more about how that works? Yeah, happy to. Um, so, you know, for Othello, we are a mobile application. You know, we're, we're built to get, uh, across iOS and Android. So we've done that for, you know, ease of access for really any phone. Um, and, you know, the way this would work would, you know, really a patient could be given Othello at any stage in their journey as a companion to their standard of care. Um, so perhaps you're a newly diagnosed patient or you've recently entered remission. Um, you could be offered by your provider or care management team through your, your health insurer, um, Othello as, you know, this, this companion tool to help you navigate. Um, and at Othello, you know, we're, we're really founded upon three pillars. We view ourselves kind of as a virtual doula for the cancer care experience. You know, we've seen this surge in uses of doulas within the maternal health care space, as well as even palliative and end-of-life care now. Um, and, I, and I think that's something that we feel is really compelling since the cancer care journey is, is so unique and specific. Um, and it's it's really important to have a consistent, you know, companion during that time. Um, so, you know, first is the biometric integration, right? And what does that mean? 
Um, that means that we work with common wearable devices like Fitbit or Apple Watch, as well as digital biomarkers. And that sounds fancy and scary, but they're really just little th- pieces of data that live in your phone that we can actually un- have a lot of understanding around what your life is like um, outside of the standard treatment center. So we view this as 80% of a cancer's patient's life is actually spent outside of the clinic. And that's the part that we want to impact. And these apps that are designed currently for Fitbit and all of the different tools that you would utilize are really designed for athletes. Um, If you tell a cancer patient to go run two miles, it's not going to happen. An active treatment chemo cancer patient is probably taking less than a thousand steps a day. Um, So our goal is to be able to look at things like heart rate variability, respiration rate, temperature, sleep, and activity, and tailor that experience to the cancer care or or remission space for these patients and use their data as their own baseline. So you're not being compared against some arbitrary standard um, that's been set for a typical functioning patient or human. Um, The second is is health literacy. Um, We do a really great job of making things really hard and complicated for patients to understand in the medical field. Um, And we feel like you shouldn't have to go to med school to understand some pretty basic information about your care pathway. Um, So, you know, we we work and collaborate with advocacy groups and nonprofits to pull in resources and tools that they have that are existing because, you know, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. But on the flip side, what we do at Othello is we take the most cutting edge scientific information that's emerging on a weekly and monthly basis. And we distill that down to an eighth grade reading level in a variety of formats so that patients can understand anywhere from a blog post to 30 second bite pieces of just trying to have a greater understanding. Of, of what the options are and what's coming out there today. Um, there's an enormous amount of information available on the internet. And I think everyone knows you can Google whatever you want and you can get pretty much any answer you could possibly imagine back to you. And whether that's backed by science is a completely different story. Um, and so our goal is to really be able to provide content that is trusted, um, easy to understand and backed by science and clinicians. Um, Lastly, the third pillar is focusing in on community, and this is a part of the platform that we're really excited to expand in the next year or so. Um, But we take patients and we match them into pods with other women or individuals who are going through similar life circumstances. Um, It can be active treatment, it could be remission, it could be, you know, a variety of different diagnoses within the breast and gynecologic space. But we take that and we have it moderated by health coaches, community health workers, and our doula services. And what our goal is there is to be able to, A, make sure that patients have access to information when they need it, um, that they have answers to questions when it's timely and important to make decisions quickly. Um, And lastly, that it's a productive and positive experience. I think we see with a lot of the forums that it can be a really slippery slope when it comes to chronic manageable diseases. Um, And there's a lot to stress over in that space, but we want to make sure that patients are continuing to be uplifted, um, not in a false way, not in something that's disingenuous, um, but merely to make sure that patients are are receiving as much support as they can in a virtual setting, not just from a digital perspective, but also from the human touch, which we know is so important whenever it comes to to navigating care spaces like this. So that's the kind of high level overview of of what we're offering now. Um, And obviously excited today to tell you more about how we plan to expand in the, the next one to five years too. Oh, absolutely. Um, And before we dig in into that and sort of the personal elements, just want to focus on the data. You mentioned that you connect with wearables and you're collecting biometric data. 
tell us more about how that's used and kind of the potential there for the data. Oh, man, you're probably going to have to make me stop talking at some point on this subject. I'm, I'm a data nerd and um, I, you know, <laughs> I'm so excited about um, the capabilities of remote patient monitoring, right? So, I, you know, to kind of rewind on how this started, I mean, Monica and I have a strong development background in the life sciences. Um, I, I run, I ran, you know, global clinical trials for years. Um, and, and in that space, we use remote patient monitoring tools all the time. It is the standard and the norm for us in clinical trials. It improves patient engagement and adherence. We've seen it time and time again. It works. It can it be complicated and difficult to implement at times? Absolutely. Um, but it can work. And we've seen even with the pandemic, how important and useful these tools can be to advance science more efficiently and, and more effectively and on a much shorter time span than we're accustomed to. So what we saw, though, is that, you know, that's 8% of cancer patients who participate in clinical trials. So how do we take what our lessons learned from these preclinical and early developments, you know, perspectives and move that over into the standard of care to patients who typically don't have access to these types of resources? Um, and so, you know, that was kind of our goal of, you know, working in a very different way of taking something from, you know, the clinical trial space of healthcare over into the public space where, you know, our goal is to work with Medicaid, Medicare and public publicly funded plans. Um, and so using biometrics and these remote patient monitoring tools, we look at, like I mentioned, heart rate variability, for example. There's a lot of research coming out from various academic institutions, both in the U.S. and globally, that are looking at how we can use these tools as prognostic or risk indicators of how a patient is doing. Um, if you think about it, so much happens with patients in between their visits. 57% of side effects are missed in between, you know, the standard patient visit because a lot's happening. You know, they're cancer patients. They're on new drugs that have a variety of side effects. Um, and one of the reasons that many patients don't stay on the therapeutics is because those adverse side effects become unmanageable because they weren't addressed really quickly. Um so we view this, the biometrics from two lenses, one, being able to give the patient a sense of control over what's happening in their body, understanding their own sleep cycles. I mean, Monica and I are both, you know, big wearable device enthusiasts ourselves. Um, I am not a marathon runner, uh, but I, you know, for me, it's something that I use for health optimization. I have, you know, PCOS and a variety of health conditions myself. I'm also at an extremely risk, a high risk of getting cancer as well because of, of my mom's age and, and type of diagnoses. Um, so we use it for health optimization and that's how we view it for patients. You don't have to be an athlete to use these tools to improve your overall life expectancy, your clinical and non-clinical outcomes. And then the flip side of that really is the research. I think that these, these metrics are going to be really informative in the long term and how we have a much better understanding of the whole total patient experience, what's happening in your body outside of the times that you're just in clinic getting your standard of care, you know, assessments. Um, you know, but Monica, I, I know from your Ellen's, you're, you're also a big nerd in this space too. So, you know, want to hear kind of what you're most excited about as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest complaint today we hear, you know, speaking to patients and even ourselves is the so what? So why do we collect this data? What does it mean? Is it just because we like to chart numbers on a graph? And, and the answer is no, it, it, it drives what we eat at different times of day, what time we eat, what order we eat in. All of these very tangible decisions can be driven by this data feedback and all of those micro decisions roll up to our macro view of health. And that's what we're communicating and working on because we're really at the infancy now 
of all of these devices. They're used by every small population now. It tends to be a younger demographic, a healthier demographic. So there's a lot of opportunity within the space and we need to build tools from the ground up for these different user groups. And so that's something that, that we've been doing, just working with, with different patient advocacy organizations, figuring out what matters most and making this less complicated, really. We, we, we see how um, we've had developments with technology going from you know, the 80s to today and how user interfaces have come leaps and bounds. And that's the equivalent of what we're doing with cancer research today. It's going to be palatable and actionable um, for patients and for the growing survivorship community as well. Thank you. That's really exciting. And I mean, talking about usable data, you've also identified this need for education and connection, um, you know, communication with the patients, even, even those who might be in remission. And we've identified vast access gaps to care um, and information. So could you tell us more about your education and community support? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Today we, you know, we're a part of all the Reddit feeds and a lot of the advocacy groups, um, nonprofits that exist, and they're great. They host webinars. We find that there's not a lot of mutual engagement, and everybody starts from uh, ground zero. And we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We're we're creating something that is trusted, has clinician oversight. Um, as of a couple of years ago, there was a study done on the apps in the app store that are helping cancer patients, and they found only three percent of them had clinician oversight. So. Um, that's something that we're, we're very focused on that we have, and, and that's a foundation of what we're building, um, having that evidence-based trust in, in everything that we put out there. And that credibility is something that we're sharing with patients and uh, working with all stakeholders to really create. So um, I think it's quite shocking today, and people don't realize it unless, unfortunately, they go into this scenario when you realize, hey, I'm starting from ground zero. We have to learn everything. There's not a trusted source. And also when... When the good news comes that remission is on the way, then what do we do? It's, it's very disparate. And I, I know there's a lot to be desired within the healthcare system, but on the flip side, there are a lot of positive movements, both from a policy lens um, and from the market, uh, market area that is driving positive change in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. I was, it's interesting. I mean, one of, one of the area, you know, pieces of within healthcare that I, I, you know, we're so focused on and I'm really passionate about is, you know, when we talk about health equity and access to care, that means a lot of different things, you know, that that's not just looking at low socioeconomic status, people who are within urban environments, um, you know, a, a growing area that's going to be a problem for a long time is rural health care and, and the community aspect of health care. Less than 3% of oncologists practice in a rural setting. Over two-thirds of communities in the U.S. don't have an oncologist at all. And these oncologists treat every type of cancer who walks through the, that walks through the door. Um, you know, and, and one of the big learnings that we had from kind of, you know, our, our initial testing of, of the product and, and kind of understanding our patient group was that um, it's really critical to have the, the, the family unit or support system, um, or in this case, the caregiver involved in all of these decisions. You know, when we make decisions in, for a cancer patient, it is never the cancer patient alone who is making that decision. It is heavily dependent upon a variety of, of social and psychosocial factors um, that that lend to what they're able to even do. How do they make it to their visits? Um, you know, is it going to be feasible for them to be on, you know, a chemo drug that requires them to travel a long distance to be able to even get to the clinic? 
Um, so we created a caregiver portal, which is also part of this community element where um, a patient can authorize a loved one or a representative to have access to their information. So imagine you have um, a a mother, you know, who lives across the country um, and you're really concerned about them all the time. So you can have access to their biometric data to see how they're doing. How did they sleep last night? Um, to have just kind of that small lens into what their daily life is actually like. And on the flip side of that, you can still gain support from the community. You can talk to other caregivers to see what's worked with them. You can meet with our social workers to have conversations about the resources that are available, you know, to your loved one, as well as to yourself, end of life care and planning, um, you know, any from legal resources and things like that. Um, and, and that community piece is also so important from a cultural lens. Um, every, you know, every different subset of our population has very different cultural and social norms whenever it comes to what is talked about, what's not talked about. Um, and I, I think we always view this from a lens of personalized medicine, right? Like it's not just the drugs that we give you. How do we become so prescriptive about the way that we provide care to patients that we are tailoring it to who they are, where they're located, um, and I, I think technology is a really, really powerful tool um, that we're only beginning to kind of harness to learn uh, the most efficient ways that we can we can better tailor the experience for you know the people who need it most. That's really incredible. Sounds like we've got lots of gaps in access. I think I've heard you, Jessica, say we're going to have a shortage of oncologists. You know, even even those in the rural areas and access to specialists. Um, this this information that you're providing and the personalization and the focus on the patient and the family is really, really incredible. Um, and being so patient focused, you know, I'll note that you have a business to business commercial strategy. Um, Monica, can you tell us more about your commercialization strategy? Sure. And we spent a bit of time uh, honing this into the most uh, critical elements. And so what we've done is we've looked at the state of the U.S. So half of the population in the U.S. is covered by employer-based plans. That's great. Um, tends to be a higher income population. We have 35% of the population covered by uh, CMS. So that includes Medicaid, Medicare, um, specifically the Medicaid populations tends to have less resources. So we realize, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, these are the people that will benefit the most from Othello immediately. So this is where we want to focus. And then we looked at the policy side of things. And the silver lining is that the current administration has put a lot of emphasis on improving cancer care. And that's aside from the therapeutic side of cancer care. It's the social determinants of health. Um, it's all the other elements of a patient's life. And so um, as a part of the Cancer X Moonshoot Initiative, uh, which launched just a few weeks ago, we're founding members of, um, it's bringing together stakeholders from both the public and private sector to figure out how do we increase survivorship, how do we increase outcomes, how do we address things like financial toxicity of cancer, everything else aside from the tumor. And so, you know, there, there are really great initiatives coming out. Um, the Enhancing Oncology Model is coming out on July 1st in the next week or so, um, which is going to provide more incentives and more ways to bill for wraparound services. So things like nutrition, uh, psychosocial help. Um, uh, we think a lot of the big barriers in having these types of services reimbursed is that there wasn't a CPT code for it, or it wasn't easy for providers to get these things paid for. Conceptually, we know it's important doctors, nurses all want the best for their patients, but they were bound by the constraints of the system they operated. And so um, we're in, it's a, it's a fairly 
very ideal time, we think, to be in this space because we can work directly um, with the policyholders at stake who are implementing ways to really have uh, integrative care become mainstream care, really. And hopefully we don't even have to use that term in the future. It's just going to be standard of care, cancer care, and all these elements are included. Um, so that's something that's a bit unique. And, you know, we we like to keep one eye to the ground to see what's coming down the line. We've seen advances in payment modules for remote patient monitoring. Um, I know there's some kinks to be worked out with that still, but it's moving in the right direction. We've seen virtual care codes coming out due, due to COVID and the level of comfort that patients have with this type of care has skyrocketed. So there are a lot of positive developments and a lot of support from the administration, from the federal side, from the state side um, to really improve outcomes. So I think that's a big part of you know, what we're focused on and what's been driving our commercial strategy at this time, aligning all the stakeholders. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? Like we're in this, like this in-between stage where, you know, everyone knows that we need to move more towards this value-based, you know, model of care. Everyone knows that adherence, retention, engagement are critical, but we've been in this fee-for-service model for a very, very long time. Um, so in some cases, CPT codes don't exist. So for us, a lot of it has been being extremely creative about the way that we find um, the incentives. And they do exist. They're not. It's not always a clear-cut path on how it exists. Um, but everyone knows that this improves, you know, the patient experience, which in turn, you know, improves outcomes, you know, both clinical and non-clinical. I think the other side of this too, and, and something people lose sight of when they're looking at, you know, the public marketplace for these plans is that these are the patients who cost the healthcare system the most money. They are patients who, you know, delay their actual screenings, who are diagnosed later. They have poor outcomes. Their mortality rates are higher. Um, they tend to, you know, delay and not adhere to treatment routines. They have comorbid conditions that impact their care. It's a complicated patient group to work with, um, but that's also kind of a place of comfort for us. Like that's we're, we're used to kind of working within that realm. Um, but I, I think it's also important for people to realize that it's not just about wanting everyone to have the right access to care. I mean, obviously that, that's that's incredibly important to us. Um, but it's also about making sure that you're impacting the patients who have the potential to relieve the most burden on our healthcare system. And for these patients from poor communities who are seen by FQHCs, you know, federally qualified healthcare facilities, they have very limited resources and time. Um, and that's, you know, kind of a great model for us to be able to step in and show that, you know, it's not just the clinician shortage, which you mentioned that we are expecting a shortage of over 2,200 oncologists in the next couple of years. And those were numbers before COVID-19 hit. I imagine it's worse now. Um, but it's also the nurses and the other staff members that, that hospitals can't keep at this point. Um, so how do you come up with other ways to be able to support those patients in a virtual setting, um, you know, and I, I think that as a result of this workforce crisis, we are starting to see um, much more of a move and a trend towards see, realizing that these digital tools can really kind of ameliorate uh, the impact that it has. Those are great points. And not only do you have to have the problem and the great product, but your timing seems to be kind of hitting it just right. And as you've observed over the past few years, we've seen acceleration in new codes, but adoption of new models and receptiveness of providers and payers, which, you know, sometimes pretty locked in their ways and so you're forging a new path. 
And ultimately, I think things will look different in a few years, um, you know, with Medicare Advantage, ACO Reach, this enhancing oncology model, um, and then the self-insured plans who are very receptive to improving the quality of care for their employees and their families and, and the outcomes. So I'm excited. It's been a thrill to talk to you all about this. And I know you all have received a lot of recognition and have been achieving amazing momentum and accelerating your growth. Um, so I'd like to hear, what are you most excited about over the next, say, five years? Yeah. I mean, short-term lens, a variety of things I'm excited about. I mean, I'm really excited for us kind of expanding on our service offering. I mean, we are moving more into uh, doing, you know, kind of virtual care within, you know, video conferencing, things like that, to have kind of that more personal lens into having a face on the other side. That's you know, interesting because been kind of interesting emergence from COVID-19 was that, um, you know, in some cases, like the adoption has been great within this space. But, um, you know, a lot of people want to see the other face of the 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 person that they're meeting with. So just a phone call isn't going to cut it. You know, patients want to see the person on the other end, um, you know, and then the other thing I'm excited about from from within this space is uh, we are expanding. So we've started in breast and gynecologic cancers. We did that because we wanted to be really specific about the patients that we were addressing when we were kind of working through our initial proof points and and traction and kind of return on investment with the product. Um, But we're excited in June of next year, it is our goal to open up Othello to all women and people with a uterus who have cancer. Um, So this comes from a variety of areas, but one where we are expanding kind of services around uh, not only just women and different types of cancer um, and, you know, the the supportive service we provide based on that, um, but also for queer and transgendered communities who have unique needs. Um, But I also think that, you know, for me, from a data side, um, I think that I'm really excited for the the research that we're going to be able to do in the future. I mean, you know, we've, we've worked in clinical trials, we've worked in these controlled settings, but real world evidence, you know, is becoming more and more of, of a need. You know, it's one thing to make it happen in an MD Anderson, you know, it is completely different to try to replicate that same process at an FQHC. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, And so I think that being able to better understand how patients and their, their, their journey works outside of the traditional academic center um, is going to be really valuable. Um, and I, I'm excited for the, the research that we can do internally at Othello around, um, you know, hormones. It, it's just a huge area of unknown around the different 24-hour cycle that, that women, you know, go through versus the male body, which, you know, and so um, I, I think there's an enormous amount of value that can be extracted from this. And I also think it puts the power in the patient's hands, right? Like, for the patient to be able to be the active consumer of their information, to understand it, and then to opt in if they want to be a part of some of this exploratory research. I mean, you've seen it with 23andMe and lots of these other you know organizations that are out there that have been able to successfully harness their patient population um, to further advance science. Um, and I, I think that's something that we really hope to do with Othello, especially with our predictive modeling around using biometrics as a predictive outcome assessment of a better understanding um, what the patient experience looks like and how that can also impact the clinical pathways and decision-making of their care team. Um, But that's, you know, as always, I'm, I'm all about the data and I'm extremely excited about, you know, launching in market. We're working with a variety of States currently. um, And, you know, we're, we're looking to work with different native American communities, which I'm incredibly excited about, obviously with, with my background and my mom's background, 
Um, you know, and then in long term, you know, I think the research is going to be the key. These comorbid disorders, it's not just cancer. It's a family, you know, of, of conditions that most people have and understanding how those work together and against one another, um, I think is going to be really critical to our mission of really, truly advancing um, true personalized medicine across the entire lifespan of, of our patients. But Monica, how about you? Exactly. I think you know, part of our our mission, the our thesis is really to bridge this gap between Eastern and Western medicine, bringing back the ancient wisdom, but applying the data analytics and the scientific rigor that has been developed over the last few decades, a few hundred years. So, you know, we're, we're, the goal really for me is to demystify the treatment pathways, but also once you get to the other side, figure out uh, what can you do and what does your body need? There's no ideal diet for any human. We know which things affect, you know, which people, but things like hormones have uh, significant effects on outcomes and on how one can optimize themselves. So I think, you know, we, we know these patient populations have comorbidities. So looking th- at things like, like glucose using CGMs, doing all of these different pieces of the puzzle to gather the data and say, hey, this is, this is something you can do. So ideally, you know, we, we talk about the mom test and, and testing this on our relatives, our network, who really have no interest in healthcare unless um, their health is affected. And, you know, that, that's how we want it to be. We, we want people to go on with their lives um, but to feel empowered with, you know, what they can do to, to live out their lives, to see their grandchildren, to do all the things that we just want to do as humans. So, you know, there's, there's a grand picture. There's a lot of data that's going into this. Um, but, you know, celebrating our differences with the number of people we have on the planet. I mean, for instance, Genentech Roche admits 84% of their clinical studies are done on people of European descent. That's 800 million people. We have uh, close to a billion. So um, there's there's a lot more work that we have to do to understand, you know, all different types of people in all walks of life. And and that's you know something that we're doing at Othello. And we have we have very lofty goals, broad goals, but you know, we feel like if if not now, then you know, when, you know, we we're really at the time where um the technology is evolved and we can do this. That's all very exciting. I, I appreciate y'all sharing that. I mean I I'm hearing that you're solving really hard and complex challenges, a wide range, but really distilling it into a solution that's easy and accessible and personal for the patients and seems like a compelling sell for, for your you know, commercial um, buyers. So I'm excited to hear, hear how the next few years go and would love to check back in. Um, thank you all so much for participating, Jessica, Monica, this has been a fantastic conversation. And thank you for all of you who are listening today. This is the Health Plus Tech Podcast. Please reach out with any questions or comments on our episode and and stay tuned for more. Thanks.